Welcome to another episode of the In the Limelight podcast. I'm Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. You are tuned in to HealthWise 360 with Christy Cordingly. Enjoy. So hello and welcome to this episode of HealthWise 360, a creation of Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media. I'm your show host, Christy Cordingly, and you'll be able to see this interview on In the Limelight TV, which is distributed on Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, and 100 other smart TV apps. The audio version of this interview can be heard wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I am thrilled to be interviewing today Mahesh Grossman, who is a somatic hypnotherapist who specializes in healing anxiety, depression, and trauma, as well as managing chronic pain. He's the author of the One Minute Anxiety Solution and the creator of the Defy Trauma course, which features his five-step trauma detox process. His unique approach to healing through hypnosis starts connecting to and releasing the leftover emotional attention we hold in our body and using that as a tool to discover and break free of the original difficulties, typically in childhood, that keep us stuck in bad habits like smoking or overeating or in chronic mental patterns that keep us from the awesome relationships, work, finances, and the general state of being that we deserve. So welcome so much to the show, Mahesh. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was really excited about it. I wanted to start with actually, can you share a little bit about what hypnosis or hypnotherapy is with our audience? Because I think there's a real misconception about hypnotherapy. I do have some experience. I have used some hypnotherapy in the past. It's been very helpful. But I think there's a misconception to a lot of people that it's like Ravine or you go to the comedy club and there's these stage shows. That it's this. Can you share what hypnotherapy actually is and what the benefits are to people? I'll tell you that the people who do the stage show stuff, they've been trained to pick out yeah. the people in the audience who are most likely to want to show off. <laughs> and I'm extremely hypnotizable. And I was in one of those shows and I was like, no, this isn't working. And I just got off the stage. But um, in my hypnosis class, I, I, where we were all becoming practitioners, I was the most hypnotizable person there just based on a one little test. So, <laughs> but the thing is, everybody is almost every. I think everybody really is hypnotizable. Mm-hmm. Some people are more hypnotizable than others. One of the things I, one thing I like to say is, hey, if you read novels and you're the type of person who pictures stuff in the novels and the author says she saw a gray rock castle with a cherry red door and you see that gray rock castle and that cherry red door, you have been hypnotized because there is no castle. You're looking at little black smudges on a piece of paper and see <laughs> this whole world. But it doesn't have to be that way because not everybody's visual. But if you go to the movies and something sad happens to the main character and you feel sad or something happy happens, guess what? You are watching and you know there's a part of you that knows this is just made up and it's just actors pretending to be somebody. But you're completely immersed emotionally in the story. Then there's the concentration part, which is if you ever get so lost in thought that you miss your exit or your street or uh, you're playing video games and somebody or reading and somebody says your name and says, hey, hey, and it takes three <laughs> times for them to actually get to you, you're hypnotized by whatever it is you're doing. So it's an extraordinarily natural state. It is a natural state of being, and it's really just tied to our subconscious. We have 
an autopilot inside of us, but the, the, that subconscious also unlocks doors to some really cool things, which we're going to talk about today too. So let's getting into anxiety, because that's sort of where you really focus your, your research and your practice on. What are the two biggest mistakes people can make with anxiety and how can we overcome those? Well, the, the first mistake is people consider it a disorder mm-hmm. or they consider it a mental illness. And what it really is, is that it's a cover for pain. So let's say in cave times, we were attacked by a woolly mammoth near yellow grass. Our brain picks up literally quite millions of pieces of information about anything that happens. And then we go, three weeks later, we go to grandma's cave. She makes us a wonderful bison dinner. And there's a painting of a a bison on the wall and it happens to be yellow. And we were attacked by yellow grass. Our brain makes this sloppy pattern match to the fact that yellow there on the wall is the same as the yellow on the grass. And so what it does is it sets us up to fight the woolly mammoth or run away from the woolly mammoth or freeze like a hedgehog, which is, you know, a great strategy for hedgehogs and humans also do it. And uh, that's, that's, that's really what's happening. So it's not a disorder. It's, it's kind of a natural response and and sometimes there's generational stuff and some people have may have inherited some things but but one thing nobody realizes is that um we actually take in stuff from other people especially mm-hmm. our parents so we can like by osmosis take in anxiety that belongs to them and doesn't belong to us or we can inherit anxiety uh through they've studied that you can find unresolved trauma from our grandparents in the sperm and the egg and so we could, possibly, yeah, it's the big, big studies, studies around World War II concentration camps where children behave the way their parents did. Rat studies, which I find the most fascinating, is that they would starve pregnant rats and then give the, they'd give birth and the baby rats would be in like this buffet of, you know, water and food. And, but they'd act depressed and lethargic, just like the parent even though they had full access to anything their hearts could desire. I don't know what rat hearts desire, but you know. <laughs> so so, so it, it, there, there's all kinds of studies going on about that. Now, the, the other thing to know is your brain is trying to save your life when it makes you anxious. So this is the other big mistake, which is if you let your brain stop you, from going to a networking meeting or going asking somebody out or whatever it is that sets you off, you are telling your brain, hey, thank you. You just, your brain thinks it saved your life. <laughs> and so it's going to keep sending you anxiety symptoms. On the other hand, if you do whatever it is that makes you anxious, this is where exposure therapy is kind of the leading way to mm-hmm. get them. Um, and you're teaching your brain, guess what? This is not a threat to my life. You made a mistake. And so it will stop sending you anxiety symptoms. There's also a layer of believing that some, even though you've gotten through it, there's what's called anticipatory anxiety, which is basically 
oh, this made me anxious before. So now I'm mentally anxious about doing it, even though I did it successfully once. So it takes a few times sometimes. Now, here's the secret and kind of the main strategy, one of the two main strategies in my work. But the main strategy, the one minute anxiety solution has 57 different ways to lower your anxiety within a minute. And part of why it works is it changes the part of our brain that we're using, which is really an interesting thing. So anxiety is the limbic system. It's really, we used to call it the amygdala, but apparently it's more than that now. Mm -hmm. And I call it the cave brain because amygdala means almonds in Greek because it's shaped like two almonds. So cave brain is just as good as almonds as far as I'm concerned. But when you switch to use, and, and I use, I have a lot of different types of techniques, phys- physical motions and breathing techniques, but about half the book is hypnotic techniques, which are visualizations. And this, you know, body-oriented visualizations could be because I'm a somatic hypnotherapist. Um, but if you switch to using, say, your imagination to, let's say, you notice where there's tension in your body, let's say it's in your chest, and you imagine, say, a fire hydrant there, and then you attach a hose, and then you imagine yourself standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and let the water of the tension flow out like water through the hose until the, there's just drops like at the end of a shower. Your brain, you're using, uh, I can't tell you what the part of the brain it is today. <laughs> some days I have it, some days I don't. <laughs> but you're using a more modern part of the brain, the hippocampus. It's not the hippocampus. Uh, you're using a more modern part of the brain. And when you use these other parts of the brain, they tell the amygdala, when, or the amygdala sees that you're using this other part of the brain, or the limbic system sees it. They know, hey, you're safe. You're Very using charged. this modern part of the brain. So it starts turning off the anxiety symptoms. And so that's the secret to making this stuff work. So what happens is it's really exposure therapy is really hard because you're getting these really intense symptoms. Mm-hmm. But if you lower the symptoms enough to keep going, then when you do the thing, it's the technical term, um, <laughs> you're teaching your brain that you're safe. And if you do this a few times and teach yourself and, and let yourself know that, hey, I know I'm anxious because bad things happened before. But I've gotten through this, but let's do it again. And I can always use one of the one-minute anxiety solutions. Absolutely. Can you – oh, sorry. I was going to say, like, I love that visualization uh, with the fire hydrant. What are some of your other favorite techniques for lowering anxiety that we might find in your Um, book? So here's one that's gotten half a million views and, like, 8,000 likes on TikTok. And this is, uh, so I'm going to show it to you and describe it at the same time, since I know this is also a podcast. You put your finger right under your eyebrow on one of your eyes, Mm -hmm. and you either make a letter C on one eye and go around to the bottom. So it's all around your eye on the bone and down to the bottom. And then you switch to the other eye where you make a reverse C, and you just do this a few times. And... There's, it, it's, it's, um, it's actually called an electroceutical response. 
You've heard of nutraceuticals, but this is a touch thing. Uh, it, it comes from something called havening. Uh, and I've revised it to make it work on both sides of your eye, which stimulates both sides of your brain. So that makes you even calmer. But that's like the favorite thing that I've ever posted <laughs> anywhere. And people love it. And then people make really weird comments about my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been great. So that's an easy physical one. Um, and then I'm going to show you, I, I have a whole bunch of visualizations, but not everybody's visual. So, um, but anyway, just you make a letter C around the eye ridge and under the eye on both sides of your eye. I just wanted to repeat that for people who weren't seeing me do it. Mm-hmm. And then um, another one uh, is kind of a combination of breathing technique and a yawn. So you put your fists together mm-hmm. and press. And then you breathe in for eight counts. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then you make a big yawn. So contagious, and, yawning. And it just, and that will calm you down too. So that's another, those are all. So we have different flavors here. I like to do different flavors when I'm, I'm sharing some stuff. But but another one I really like, um, and this is for worrying and overthinking, is you imagine there's a zipper between your eyebrows, kind of where the third eye is, if you know where that is. Mm-hmm. You unzip that zipper, and then you imagine a roll of white tape, like from a cash register, and you just pull on that. And that will stop you if you're in the middle of worrying and overthinking or criticizing yourself. You just pull that out until it's completely gone. And then you squish it into a ball and toss it into the sun. Oh. And it completely changes your state. I really like that. I really like that. Yeah, it's great for worrying. People think the way to stop worrying is to... This is the other big mistake is that you can think your way out of anxiety or think your way out of worrying and overthinking. But thinking the the speed of the wavelengths that you think with are the same speed of the wavelengths uh, of anxiety. But when you change to the imagination like this, you're using different different wavelengths to... um, that, that puts you in the same state, uh, state as meditation and deep sleep. Interesting. So these it are really so instant ways to, 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 to change your state, which is what you want to do with anxiety. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, like you said, anxiety, I mean, definitely serves a purpose. It's, it's in our bodies for a reason, but we've, we've, again, the body, we haven't learned to train, just as you said, to train the body to recognize when we're actually in danger <laughs> to, you know, chronic stress and anxiety, right? Or I find, and I don't know if you work with patients on this too, is sometimes if you've gone through chronic anxiety, that sometimes, because it can be such a physical sensation, right? Like it's not even just the worrying, sometimes we feel it in our bodies, right? Like we start to feel sick to our stomach, we start to have aches and pains, we start to have headaches, uh, the heart, we feel like our heart is speeding up, even if it's not that it can sometimes be confused even with uh good things so like we the body gets so confused is this anxiety or is this excitement and i know i myself have had to sit and go like i have these butterflies i feel anxious oh wait no actually i'm looking forward to something tomorrow but the physical sensations are the same 
Yes, they are. They, they absolutely are. It does work that way. I mean, I, I use things to get rid of anxiety, but but it's a good question to ask. Is this, is, is this anxiety or am I excited? Is there a possibility that I'm excited? <laughs> is there anything that I might be excited about? Because <laughs> sometimes there are and sometimes there's not. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Yes. If we've had a rough time, right? It can we can forget that wait, actually yeah. good things do happen sometimes. It's a good thing. Yeah. And to be honest, we've been taught parents don't love excited kids. <laughs> parents get overwhelmed when their kids are too excited. It, it 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 can either trigger them or it's just so much energy. So they don't love it when we're excited. So we can have a message inside ourselves that it's not okay to be excited. And so that can trigger anxiety over the fact that we're excited. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's quite the quite the circle, isn't it? Why why do we have such a physical response to anxiety? Why why does the body hold the anxiety well, that, and the trauma? Well, there's two things going on. So so just in terms of anxiety by itself, the physical symptoms are really your body getting prepared. You get nauseous, that's going to freeze you, right? Because you mm -hmm. can't do it. Uh, your heart beats fast. You're preparing to, you know, fight or run away. So all the symptoms, the headache is going to freeze you. Freezing is good, according to the brain. And I guess the brain has learned from hedgehogs. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, if you're not moving... The woolly mammoth may not notice you in the way that they would if you were moving. So that's why hedgehogs freeze. I actually had a hedgehog on a fence once. It was like, oh, my God, what they talk about is so completely real. <laughs> so, so, there's that. so that's why on the anxiety level we have these symptoms and probably also on the trauma level. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing I ask everyone to do. And if I were to leave the world different. This is the thing that I would use to change it. It's not my whole system. It's the first step in my five-step trauma detox process for my Defy Trauma course. But it is the most profound thing. Now, this works not just with anxiety, not just with, well, trauma, adverse experiences. Wherever we have wounds from the past, if you take something personally that someone says or does, if you're having difficulty in a relationship, somebody did something that really bothers you. I encourage people to do this all the time. There would not be war in the Ukraine if Putin did this. <laughs> Donald Trump could not be. If people did the work to find out their original wounds, then the world would be a better place. And you're much happier. And, and actually, now when somebody does something that upsets me and then I do a piece of work, I'm like, oh, I'm really grateful to them because I found something I didn't know was there. And I've been at this for 37 years. So it's not that often that I don't know something yeah. <laughs> right? that happened to me so, or some angle on it. So the, the trick is this. So whatever is happening, notice where you feel it in your body, especially pay attention to your the front of your torso because mm -hmm. that's where the energy centers are that that deal with emotions the most. And then you notice, let's say you notice something happening in your chest. You ask yourself, how old was I the first time I had this sensation in my chest? And 
you'll either get an answer. If you don't get an answer, well, was I 10 or under or 11 or older? Generally, you can answer that. It's shocking how easy that is. And then you start splitting the difference. Was I 5 to 10 or 0 to 4? Let's say 5 to 10. And then if you want to do the math, you can do 5 to 7 or 8 to 10. Or if you're like me, you can do 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 and see <laughs> where something feels kind of right. And you'll get an answer. This happens with my clients all the time. And people who get the course have had, I have one woman in New Zealand who's having experiences that out, are so outrageous that they're equal to or better than the best of my clients. It's really fascinating to see that work. People who've done some work on themselves have even bigger experiences, but this is a system that works for everybody. But so you've now got an age, right? So let's say you got seven. So you ask yourself, where was I? Was I home? Was I at school? Was I outside? Was I inside? Who was I with? What was happening? And then, and then I would say, so the more complex version of this is to just, I have a couple of three fill in the blanks and two that are really the most biggest ones. The, the blank, fill in the blanks stuff is blank, you really hurt me when you blank. You can say that this is like kind of the bonus thing or screw you blank, you don't get to blank. <laughs> Yeah. And I usually use the F word with clients. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're in a podcast. So, um, and those can kind of help you focus. Now, there's all kinds of stuff you do after that, which is the second through fifth step in my defied trauma process. But for this, it just gets you really connected more to the feeling underneath it. You're either sad or angry or scared, but sad and angry are the predominant ones that show up. And then you can do this fire hose thing. Mm -hmm. You can just imagine, oh, I'll say it again just to reiterate, but just you imagine a fire hydrant, you attach a fire hose to it. You imagine yourself on the grand edge of the Grand Canyon, or if you have issues with heights, you can be near the ocean and you're just gonna pour the water out of the fire hose. If the Grand Canyon fills up, you can just imagine draining it. If and, and, you know, it takes a second in your mind and then you keep going. Eventually you get to a point where the hose drips like when you turn off the shower. This is universal. I've never had anybody not have this happen when they could do the fire hose. I had a fireman who thought it was really weird. But, <laughs> you know, reality is a problem <laughs> for imagining. <laughs> but, um, but when the hose drips... You have released that energy and you are calm. Mm -hmm. You've actually released some of the leftover emotion from whatever it is that happened to you, the leftover tension in your body. What you haven't done, which is what you need the five-step trauma process for. So usually when people say, mom, it really hurt me when you criticize me all the time. Let's say that's the example. Mom usually defends herself or does something else. And then that's a belief inside you that you've carried on because it's only happening inside your head. It's not your real mom. Mm -hmm. So one of the weird things is we carry these internalized parents and ultimately these internalized inner child of our parents, which nobody ever talks about the inner child of our parents, but they live with us. But this part, when we say this thing, and mommy really hurt me when you criticize me all the time, it's happening inside of ourselves. So when mom says, well, that's how I was raised or I was trying to make you tough or you really bothered me, um, we're not loving ourselves unconditionally. 
And we should be able to love ourselves unconditionally. So a lot of the steps in the course are how to love yourself unconditionally by healing these voices inside your head because they represent, these are the beliefs you're carrying with you that you're being affected by in your real world. Mm -hmm. I heard actually a really cute term today about the parent wound and our inner child healing and they call it parental fragility sort of like white fragility it's parental fragility it's like you said when you're like mom that really hurt me and she's like that's how I was raised <laughs> it's like how parental fragility so I thought that was kind of funny just sort I of what you talk about really specific that I do with people um, mm -hmm. about parent fragility because what happens is after the parent says blah 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 I ask you to turn them into a five-year-old. Mm. And then you say, Mom, it really hurt me when you were critical all the time. And they may say, that's what my parents did to me. Or, But if they don't, then I ask them a question, which is, whose love were you trying to get? Who were you afraid was going to abandon you if I wasn't perfect? Oh. Whose love were you trying to get if I wasn't perfect? There's always an answer. It's the most amazing thing. I had a man. I, we find out such secrets when we do this work. Mm -hmm. I had a man who was 70 something years old and his mom had was came home on a gurney when he was three years old and it was terrifying and nobody told him anything. And suddenly as he was doing this work, he knew that she had had an illegal abortion. And, and nobody was there telling him that, but you just pick up on these things. I had another man who discovered that his mom, who was married to a man who was really mentally ill and she, and she wound up drinking herself to death mm. because she stayed with him even though she should have left. And he, he found out why she didn't leave, which was all her family criticized her for, for marrying this guy and she didn't want to prove them right. Mm. And he just knew that. And then then I, this woman from New Zealand, oh, my God. So she was adopted. Her birth grandmother tried to get her daughter to have an abortion. And, and to the point where she was on the table and the guy who was going to do the abortion said, we can't do this. It's not safe. She might die. And the grandmother uh, said, oh, well, let her die. I don't care. And that was horrifying. But and she knew this somehow. But she didn't know, as she was doing this work, so, sometimes we bring in a kind of a guide. You just make up a guide. It doesn't. It's not somebody real necessarily. But it is some part of us that's connected to everything somehow. Mm -hmm. And this guide, or someone somehow told her, I just got these in emails, um, that the grandmother had lost a child, at, a six-month-old child. That her child, she had a child that died at six months old. And that, that this was at kind of the root of all her hatred. Mm. And um, this woman said, no, that's not true. That's not possible. And then she had some kind of genealogy software or something that she used. And she found out without, just through this process, without any outside factual information, she looked it up and found out the woman did have a child that died wow. at six months old. Wow. See, yeah. So the way this this work, I'm such a big fan of. Can you get in touch? Can you touch? Connect to your body. You connect to your body enough, it makes you psychic. It makes you aware of things. It's like you're giving psychic readings to yourself. And some of these things are, you know, some of it's not provable, 
because you know I have stuff that happened to me as an infant. My parents are dead, and I discovered it after they died. Or mm-hmm. I didn't talk to my dad about one of the things because he would probably have disinherited me, and <laughs> I knew that he probably repressed it. Mm-hmm. And um, and there was just no point. Um, but there were other things I discovered after he died that I didn't know about. But were really really strong, and you can tell that they're real because you have such powerful feelings from the experience. I had a man I was working with. I just had this intuition that there was a past life connected to what he was working with. And I don't, in the first session, I don't usually even mention that. So we played with it for a little bit. He didn't believe in past lives at all. And he's sitting there crying about something that happened. That to somebody, you know, 300 years ago or whatever it was. And so my, my sense is if you're having feelings about something, they're real. You're not making them up. That doesn't mean you can't repress memories i mean sorry you can't people can be possibly influenced but generally not i mean the the opposite of uh, the the fact that repression exists my wife was told by her father that he molested her when she was 14 years old several times in the middle of the night she had no idea she had absolutely no idea so um you know people err on the side of believing things are false memories to me it doesn't mean you can't i mean people are hypnotizable and they believe all kinds of things <laughs> I, I to make, but i'm not going to <laughs> but, <laughs> um, so yeah so so that's really really important stuff this work the more you connect to your body. And, and if you'd like, I have a thing that I think people should do first thing in the morning. If you wake up depressed or anxious, and it, you already know how to do the technique now because I've already talked about the fire hose. So that's one of the easy ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing you when you wake up, so I've had this thing where I've, so part of why we wake up depressed or anxious is our subconscious mind does a whole bunch of work in our sleep, whether we dream or not. And so there are things that are happening inside us that we don't know are happening. And so then we wake up and we feel like garbage. And like I I've had periods of time where I would wake up going, holy crap, I can't believe I have to do another day. It seems so hard. It sounds so uncomfortable. And then I did this process and I've had people tell me the same thing that I've taught this process to. And it's very simple. Um, if you're already super connected to your body, you can just notice where you feel tension in your body and just do the fire hose in those places. But if you don't know that, you can just wake up, do one right here in the throat, one in the center of your chest, one in the solar plexus, which is the midriff in the spot place between the belly and the chest, and one kind of in the center of your belly. And you do this, you don't have to even open your eyes to do this. You can be holding a partner and still do this work and nobody even knows you're doing it (laughs) but it's really valuable and as a practice the more you can connect to what's going on in your body the easier it is to to be aware of it and also to release it and if the world that that would maybe be the second thing i want to leave to world the first though is absolutely let yourself know that if you're triggered there's something that there's a bruise already. Somebody's bumping against a bruise on your knee accidentally. 
and your knee hurts because it has a bruise on it, not because they're most of the time. I mean, sometimes, obviously, people do that. <laughs> but you're well, a little more sensitive in certain areas. Absolutely. And you may have no idea that you are or why. Mm -hmm. And even when you know why, sometimes it gets, there's a bruise and you just have to, you know, do some fire hose. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. You also talk about managing chronic pain. Is it all tied together? Do you find that people with chronic pain, often their chronic pain is associated with anxiety and trauma as well? Or is it a different technique for managing chronic pain? Well, yes to both. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had people do nothing about chronic pain and notice that their back feels better than than it ever has in the last five years mm -hmm. simultaneously there's sometimes there's pain so you know there's a whole bunch of different techniques i work with as, as you know in pain management one of the simplest since i like to share things is uh this is a very traditional hypnosis technique it's called the anesthesia glove and mm. what you do is you imagine your hand take one side of your hand imagine uh, there's a coin on it, the shape of an American quarter. So you're going to make that area. You're not going to actually imagine the coin. You're just going to imagine that size, a circle, like a one inch circle. And you're going to imagine it becoming numb. And then you imagine a bigger circle becoming numb until your entire hand is numb. And then you imagine placing your hand and it doesn't have to be the real one. It can be the numb imaginary hand, wherever it hurts. And mm -hmm. that's one of the best techniques. I mean, and there are a bunch of others. But but generally, when I work with somebody with chronic pain, there's usually some old stuff, too. Mm -hmm. And so the more you feel the old stuff, the easier it gets to be. But you never, I mean, there's all kinds of ways of having techniques. I had a 90-year-old woman. I have this technique mm -hmm. I used to call it the hypnotic underwear technique, but it applies to any kind of clothing. <laughs> so I had, you know, you pull off a t-shirt. It's, it's like you're pulling something off that, that that's uncomfortable. And but I like the hypnotic underwear technique. Actually, one of my clients said, oh, yeah, this is like pulling off underwear. I was like, oh, cool. I mean, I actually said it because that's what I was thinking. So I was kind of picking up on him because that had never occurred to me. And people love hearing about the hypnotic underwear technique. So <laughs> that's what it's called. But this woman had, I had asked her to imagine pulling knee socks off and she had big knee pain and she started screaming in pain. And I said, okay, so your pain has to be psychosomatic because guess what? You're not actually pulling a sock off. Mm -hmm. This is a fake sock in your mind and you're screaming in pain and you're really hypnotizable, obviously. So let's do this. And she was standing and feeling really good and walking some steps at the end of the session because there isn't a certain amount i mean pain has a really specific function in the body which is to warn you to do something different or take care of something at a certain point pain is no longer useful and we do make sloppy pattern matches right even consciously we think oh this is going to hurt so guess what it does yeah <laughs> yeah well, on the other hand, so, and I don't know, I had really bad knee problems. I decided to do something uh, 
some kind of lift with my feet that, and I did 250 pounds the first time I did it. Uh, and then that was fine. And then the next day it wasn't. <laughs> so I, was, I was using a cane for a few months and then eventually I got better and I started to run and I could feel my knee going out and I would do the fire hose from my knee and my knee would be fine. Oh, interesting. And so sort of like holding the trauma of that injury in the area, right? Like it's like memory yeah, almost. Well, I, the knee holds a lot of emotion. So, I mean, pain can also have an emotional component. So mm -hmm. I don't know what it was doing. I just did it and felt better. And it didn't, I would feel like I'm on the verge of really hurting. And, and I've had knee pain in running since I was 18. They would, I would, they would show up from time to time. And now I'm old and I can't run anymore because the knee pain is like, I run and I'm in knee pain after. So mm -hmm. it's like, during is one thing after is kind of another so, mm -hmm. <laughs> like no, no, more. no more endorphins from that <laughs> i think you touched on this already but i i just wanted to to bring it up again because i think it is really key you say that as much as 18% of what seems like our trauma really doesn't even belong to us. Who does it belong to? Oh, what can we do about trauma that's not ours? And I, you, you talked a bit about this already. I love this technique for this. So, mm -hmm. And I often do this in the first session when I'm working with someone. Um, it belongs, we take in stuff from our parents. I had a client who had an anger management problem. And we discovered that he had taken in his father's, his father would yell at him in the high chair when he was three years old. Mm -hmm. And he took it in. And we discovered that his anger problem wasn't his anger. It was his father's anger. So we, so here's the technique. And I recommend people, you don't have to do this. It's not a one and done thing. Like there'd be other times to do it. You don't have to do it every day. But I recommend doing it at least once with both your parents and all your grandparents. And if you have any step parents, that counts. If you have siblings, I have some people it's worked for with siblings. Some people it hasn't, it hasn't been necessary. Um, you just imagine them standing in front of you with a giant red magnet knit with silver tips on the top. And then you let the magnet pull stuff out. Mm -hmm. And you'll, you may see stuff or you may just have a sense of energy coming out or you may see... Um, you may just have a knowing that it's happening, depending on how your mind works. But it, it, it works really well. People typically, when they see stuff, it's like magnetic filings or it's goop. I had one woman with a really critical mother had daggers coming out. Oh, wow. The, the daggers came out. And um, and then you you uh, if the magnet gets full, you have them toss it into the sun and they have a brand new magnet. So it's clean. Sometimes what you've got, you know, if you're getting energy, you don't have to do that. But it's really powerful. Uh, it really changes something because we really do absorb stuff from other people or inherit it. As you know, I've gone back for myself to great great grandparents, which I had a, like a month where suddenly I was just doing that all the time, and it was like crazy because I don't know their names. I had to mm -hmm. make up names, and there's like sixteen of them. <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't think most people wind up needing to do that. I, mm -hmm. you know, but for me, it was something that showed up. But but generally, though, you will get stuff from your grandparents and, and your parents. And it's not yours. And it you can't tell that it's not yours until you do this piece of work. Because you only have the one body and it feels what it feels and it thinks what it thinks. And um, 
And so it seems just like you, but it's not you. People mm -hmm. are shocked when they do this and they discover it's not you and it changes things pretty permanently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there, and where can people find your course and your book? Well, I'm trying to make it as easy as one, two, three. <laughs> so, so I have a, the equivalent to a link tree, which means that, you know, things, all my stuff is at anxiety123.com. Mm -hmm. So there's, uh, there's a free uh, emotional overload first aid kit that's there. Uh, you can take a quiz on how hypnotizable you are in terms of anxiety. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram or TikTok in those places. You can schedule a free consultation call and you can get my ebook, The One Minute Anxiety Solution with 57 different ways to lower anxiety fast. And you can get my five-step trauma, defied trauma course there, mm -hmm. which uh, has... It really is a profound step-by-step -step process that helps you break free of the things that are keeping you from your relationships that you want, from the work that you want, from the, the things that are making you overeat or have bad habits like, you know, substance habits, addicted to porn and sex and things like that, addicted to love. I had one client, the first person I did this system with, a version of this system with, uh, was for hypnosis school. So we had to make a video and it, it turned, I had not, knew nothing about her. I had met her at, an, at a meditation group and she just volunteered to do this thing. And we discovered that, she, I discovered that she had been suicidal and um, addicted to this one person, losing work and friends and all kinds of things over this one person. And when we did this work and got to the core wound underneath it and moved the energy and the beliefs out and uh, replaced and brought back her sense of safety, because there's this piece in this step where you actually, you don't just take stuff out. You unsquish the parts of ourselves that we, we were born with, but don't have because we squished them because bad things happened to us. It wasn't safe to feel safe. It wasn't safe to feel unconditional love. It wasn't safe to be confident. It wasn't safe to fully express our creativity. And whatever it is, it wasn't safe to feel joy. So this last step, which involves opening the present, actually, you imagine a present on a, someplace and you open it and there's something symbolic in there that's really mm. important. There's questions to ask. And so it helps us unsquish those things. I had a woman whose husband had been murdered at work 20 years before uh, by someone they knew. And wow. she had been depressed for 20 years. And we did this process and she got rubies. And the question I asked her was, well, I said, ask the rubies if there's anything they need from you in order to stay with you forever. And they said, you need to allow love in. Mm -hmm. I said, are you willing to do that? She said, no. And I said, great, because no is an awesome answer. It means there's a piece of work that you, you need to do. So I took her through the steps of the process, the five-step trauma detox process. And within about 10 minutes, she was ready to allow love in. And she left the system. She was in the chair, very relaxed. And she, um, it didn't seem like anything out of the ordinary happened. People end these sessions very relaxed. She came back to me and she'd been wearing the clothes that you wear on laundry day every single session, mm -hmm. mostly gray sweats. 
And suddenly she was wearing like new jeans and uh, really put together. And then she told me she had dinner with her son who was 29 and he had been nine when the, the father had been shot. And um, he said, mom, I don't recognize you. You're an entirely different person. The depression had lifted. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, depression is really, I mean, when you think of the word depression, then you think of a tongue depressor and it pushes down on your tongue, right? Depression is something that's being pushed down on. In her case, she was cutting herself off from allowing any kind of love in. And once she opened that out, and th these processes, these steps, which come from all kinds of places and with my unique spin, but this, this particular step comes from something called the soul retrieval, which I hate the name soul retrieval because it's not, you're not retrieving your soul. You're really, it's just native cultures have more of a mythological approach to things. What you're doing is you're unsquishing something you squashed mm. in order to feel safe. And that's what you're, re you're not retrieving it, you're unsquishing it. And this is the technical term, by the way. So write this down. <laughs> <laughs> like you those vacuum bags, right? You just like, yeah, you're yeah, opening yeah. it up. Yeah. Spring cleaning. Right. Let's open it up. Air it out. Right. So, yeah. So that's the process. And I teach, uh, you know, I made this Defy Trauma course to be me in a box. And oh. it's, it actually made me better at what I do mm -hmm. because it's like, okay, these are five steps. What are the five steps? And I kind of knew what they were, but when I formalized it, uh, it became something really different and my sessions run differently. That doesn't mean you don't have to color outside the line sometimes. Mm -mm. And even if you're using this process on yourself, there'll be, you know, times where you want to color outside the lines because, you know, we're not, we're not a package. <laughs> We're, no. we're not predictable. So. No. <laughs> Humans are messy, for sure. Is there anything else you would like to leave the audience with before we wrap up today? Yeah. So there's this myth about self-love. You are never going to love yourself because you're not an object. You cannot love your own laugh and your own eyes and whatever else, you know, your own walk. But you, the thing that self-love really is, is unconditional. We're, what we're looking for is unconditional self-acceptance. Mm. Anything you don't accept about yourself came from some kind of message you got in the past. You can ask yourself, who's when I'm criticizing myself, whose voice is this really? And then just turn them into a five-year-old and just let them say the same thing in a high-pitched, whiny kindergarten voice. Typically, people feel better from that. I love that self-acceptance. And it is true. We're not born with these ideas about ourselves. We don't think anything's wrong with us until someone else tells us that there is. So I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Mahesh, and for everything that you shared. And we'll put everything in the show notes. I know that you have uh, well, you, on that link, that Anxiety123, you have that free downloadable as well. But people can check out your course and your book. And just very excited to, to check it out myself. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of HealthWise 360 here on the In the Limelight Podcast Network, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe, and don't forget to tell your friends.